This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Today's guest, one of the uh, one of the excellent people in sports television in terms of presentation, knowledge. And uh, just someone who uh, makes the viewing experience that much better. It's Rebecca Lowe, the host of NBC Sports Group's Premier League coverage, as well as an Olympic host in Tokyo. In this podcast, we are talking to Rebecca from Tokyo. In fact, she will give us uh, her impressions and her discussion of what it was like working in the Tokyo Games, protocols that existed that she had to deal with, um, her thoughts on NBC's coverage, declining viewership, uh, her Premier League preparations, what she expects from the Premier League, England's World Cup prospects, and much more. It is Rebecca Lowe on the Sports Media Podcast. Here we go. All right, as I said at the top, it is Rebecca Lowe, live, although live to tape, obviously, from... Tokyo, kind enough to uh, do this very early in the morning in Tokyo. So good morning, Rebecca. It's like the Today Show. Good morning, Rebecca. <laughs> well, it's not. It's like the nightly news for me. And good evening in my head, Richard. It, it is 7 a.m. nearly in the morning here, but um, I am done for the day. I have done my show and I am going to bed very soon. <laughs> nice. All right. So I think, you know, um, I think people will be interested in sort of what your day is like. Can you give us just a sense of your day from when you wake up to ultimately when you uh, when you hit the sack? Yeah, yeah, of course. So in order for me to be the uh, alive during the day on daytime for NBC, that means the night shift here. So it, uh, upon landing in Tokyo, I decided to try to stay on the night shift from the moment I landed. Major error, did not work. Every night was a disaster, um, but it was a real hodgepodge of me just trying to stay awake and trying to get the body adjusted, but it it was not good. Anyway, by the time I actually started the show, um, I really was struggling on a severe lack of sleep. So what? now I'm okay. But what happens is I go into work for a weekday show at about 8 p.m., um, having woken up ideally at 3 p.m., 4 p.m. time between sort of four and seven, I find out who we're interviewing that night and do my prep, do my structure of my interview, work out my questions, et cetera, read up on all the things we're showing that night, make sure I'm relatively across as many of them as I can, um, just in case I need to suddenly ad lib about equestrian jumping. Um, and then I go in at hair and makeup at eight o'clock, 10 o'clock, 
we record the interview or 10.30 with whichever athlete we're lucky enough to get that day. And then there's a bit of downtime for a couple of hours. And then I go live on air, Japan time at 1 a.m. and 6 a.m. when I come off air, hotel, breakfast and bed and do the whole thing the next day. And then at the weekends, it's longer. The weekends is a 10-hour live show. So we actually go on air at 9 p.m. Japanese time, come off air. 7 a.m. Japanese time. So I go into work at about 5 p.m. on a Saturday and a Sunday um, and go and finish at 7 p.m. the next day. And of course, it's every single day. Um, so I think it's I think I worked out, including rehearsals, it's about 20 night shifts on the spin, Richard, which I'm quite proud of, to be honest. Nice. Congrats. Um, so I the, for, you know, for the Olympics that I covered um, and again, I haven't the last one I covered was Sochi, so it's very possible things have changed, although I wouldn't think dramatically. One of the things about NBC setup um, at the uh, IBC, International Broadcasting Center, I guess it was called, um, was that it was massive. I mean, essentially, NBC was far and away the biggest broadcaster there. They, they almost essentially had their own... I don't even, I mean, I'm not even sure what the, you know, almost like their own stadium, basically, although that's probably not the right uh, setup. But it was, I mean, it was massive. Um, there were many, many studios. It was almost like its own little city. What is the setup for NBC in, in Tokyo, if you can describe it? I think it's very similar to that. The IBC is, I only go there at the weekends. So I go to a, an IBC set at the weekend. During the week, I'm actually at a, at a studio across the road from my hotel by Tokyo Bay, um, which is a studio that we have used. It, it's an amazing studio. It's gone from, I think it's gone from Sochi to Rio to Pyeongchang to here. Um, it's a sort of big blue box divided into a number of studios and we have one in there. So during the week, I'm literally just across the road. But you're right. The IBC International Broadcast Centre is unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. Sochi was my first Olympic Games. And when I turned up, I didn't realise there was anybody else covering the Games. I just thought it was the NBC Olympic Games. I mean, I couldn't find, I had lots of friends at the BBC. I couldn't find where on earth they were because most of the IBC is, the, is NBC. It, it gives me a headache, Richard, to try to work out the logistics of this undertaking. This is, it's bigger this year than ever, um, which I have to say, take your hats off to NBC considering all the challenges they've had to face. But the logistics and the unpacking and the building of state of studios and the organization of, of people and you know, it really blows my mind. So the IBC has many, many studios, couldn't tell you how many, most of which are, a lot of which are NBC, plus office after office after office and production room and meeting room and restaurant. And I mean, the whole thing is, I had to meet a friend of mine from the BBC the other day. And I said to her, I'm so sorry, but can you come to me? Because I, I don't know anywhere else other than NBC. So she said, oh, that's okay. I know exactly where NBC are. They're everywhere. So I'll find you. Yeah, I will say uh, in London, it was not hard to find the BBC. I'll tell you that as, uh, uh, as a press person back then for Sports Illustrated. But yeah, NBC, it's, uh, I mean, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. You're right. What, um, obviously, the protocols heading into the country, you obviously had to take uh, COVID test, uh, I'm sure, have to be vaccinated, et cetera. What, um, what protocols exist for you as an NBC broadcaster in country? What if, what, if anything, have you had to do? Actually, we didn't have to be vaccinated. I am vaccinated, but that oh, interesting. Okay. wasn't something that anybody asked us to do. I think it was made clear, which is fair enough, that life might be easier um, if you're vaccinated, but it wasn't a, wasn't a mandate. Um, 
so yes, two COVID tests before he left. On upon landing, I'm sure many people have heard these stories. Lots of time spent at the airport with more tests and various things. And then the day to day, the first 14 days, you put you have an app on your phone and you put your temperature in and how you're feeling every day. And that has to be something you do every day. Um, day one, day two, day three, day ten, day fourteen, you do a COVID test, um, which NBC supplies for us. We drop off at the NBC office and then. You know, as long as you pass it, you carry on. As soon as you get past day 14 and that final COVID test, then you are out of soft quarantine. Soft quarantine is I'm allowed in my hotel room. I'm allowed in the hotel restaurant and I'm allowed in my studio. I'm not allowed anywhere else. Um, So I've done that for 14 days. I'm now clear. But to be honest with you, Richard, with my schedule, I haven't got time to go anywhere else. Um, So I'm actually kind of living soft quarantine throughout the whole of this. And then the hotel is very strict. So you wear gloves when you eat. Um, only a certain amount of people in the elevator, all, all of the normal things you'd expect. And then when I go to the studio, it's, you know, it's everyone's in masks and we're all social distancing as best we can. So it's, it's kind of like going back in time in a way to March 2020, because when I left the States three weeks ago, California was doing, especially where I live, was, was doing very well. You almost wouldn't know that covid was a thing anymore so this is very very different to that but yeah a lot a lot a lot of protocols for sure are you able to attend anything or have you have you seen any um competition as a spectator nope none um i i'm not 100 percent. i think i would be able to now um if that's something that i would like to try and do every other olympic games i've done so this is my fourth now. I used to I go to something every day. Um, it's either before or after my show. The, the, the difference here, though, Richard, is my show is very long and it's all night long. And even though you kind of find a rhythm, there's no getting away from the fact that if you have a normal shift, you do sleep for longer. I mean, I can't sleep past lunchtime. So really, I'm only getting four or five hours sleep and it doesn't bode well for um kind of the rest of the day if you then go gallivanting around I need to kind of try and conserve my energy and try and get through the night um and it's a you know it's a live show it's not pre-recorded so there's a huge amount of energy that's required there's pressure there's pressure on myself um plus there's a huge amount of knowledge so I would love to go and see something I hope I can get out to see something um but that isn't why I'm here I'm here to do the job on overnight to do the daytime show so that's my priority Rebecca, you, you're on air talent, so you can only control what you can control, and that's obviously your performance, your preparation, what you do during your shift. But you are smart enough and aware enough to know that viewership for these games are down. Now, we can sort of talk about for hours as to the factors, as to the why, and different people will um, sort of argue, you know, what's the most important factor there or not. But but the reality is there's just less people watching um, than there were in Rio. Do How much, if at all, do you um, process that, think about that, or are you, or does that just not viewership or the sort of the macro of the games does, is that not part of your world at all? I'm always curious how an on how an on air person sort of processes that kind of stuff. I think it's a part of your world because I think anybody wants to know that you're that you're speaking to an audience. Um, and obviously, you know, we're not totally cut off. I've seen articles. We know that there aren't as many people watching um, as there were in Rio, but Rio was the same time zone pretty much. That's a big, big factor. Huge factor in fact, Richard. I mean, I remember doing the the daytime show with Al Michaels and Mike Tirico in Rio, and it was amazing because it was sort of ten till three. I mean, it was like the greatest shift of all time on Copacabana Beach because 
that's when all the sport was. So we could bring you the daytime show with all this live coverage. And that's different. You know, I'm, I, if I'm lucky, I start the show with something live and I finish the show with something live. But on the whole, it's showing you what you missed when you were asleep. Um, and, you know, we all know everyone has media or everyone has access to the Internet or someone else's social media. If they want to see what happened in the 200 meter race, they can. Um, so it's a, it is a different world in just a short five years. Um, and so we, of course, we're aware of that. Um, but I also think that in five years, America has moved forward very quickly in, in the television area in terms of the whole cutting the cord thing. I mean, we all I don't I have a lot of friends who, who don't have the regular television. I mean, they still watch NBC, but they watch it via YouTube TV or Hulu or whatever the, all the other different offerings are. And I don't really know how that works in terms of ratings, but um, it's a very, very different landscape. But one thing I would say is, although we're aware of it or I'm aware of it, the sense that I get is that the Olympics hasn't lost its charm, hasn't lost its appeal at all. Um, the world has slightly changed around it, but the Olympics has remained strong. And I think that's been proven actually over the last few weeks. And also the audience is still massive. So it doesn't, it doesn't really register other than I'm aware of it. And it's the, the world and it's the same in every country. Um, and it's just the world we live in. But there is that people are finding their ways to watch it just slightly unconventionally. Rebecca, um, you, you know, as someone who um, is a product of the BBC and obviously someone who was raised um, in the UK, you grew up with the Olympics like um, being presented by a public broadcast. I, I don't know the history of this. Has the BBC always had it or has someone else had it prior to the BBC in your lifetime? Oh, they've always had it. They only, in fact, the only Olympic Games that I know of, they had to share it. Okay, so that, so they're, okay, so you're, um, you grew up on that. I live in Toronto right now, so I'm watching the CBC. BBC and CBC are very, very different broadcasters than NBC. Um, for one thing, they're, they're public broadcasters. They are funded uh, either by taxpayers or the government, and they have a charter, a specific charter to sort of do certain things in country. NBC obviously is very different, for-profit uh, commercial enterprise. I wonder for you as someone who grew up and watched the BBC, like how did it take you a while to adjust to NBC's um, their approach, more narrative storytelling, less um, less live Olympic coverage because of the the sort of the commercial res res responsibilities. You, you're an old hat now, so I know I imagine for this Olympics, it's not really a big deal. But I don't know. At first, when you joined the Olympic team, was it did you find just the whole philosophy very different given what you grew up with? Not really, Richard, because I never worked on the Olympics in the UK. And when I watched the Olympics, I was very, very much a spectator. And because I, when I left the BBC, when I was at the BBC, I, I wasn't ever part of their Olympic coverage. Not really. I did a few voiceovers, but nothing really. So I didn't really involve myself in that Olympics department, which was very, very strong and very kind of closed off and I, I was nowhere near it. So I didn't really know how they did the Olympics and I never watched the Olympics with a critical eye. I just absorbed it, I suppose. Um, so when I came to NBC, the hardest thing I found was when I started eight years ago on the Premier League. That was, that was difficult because, in fact, I was having this conversation with somebody at work today because 
we have a Scottish lady who works on our show here on NBC um, in, in, where are we? Tokyo, <laughs> in Tokyo. And she was, she was just saying about how interesting it is, how many commercials there are. And I said, well, it's interesting you say that because actually there's about the same number as you would get in the UK on a, on a Sky or an ITV or a BT Sport, but they're just more frequent. So with a, with a, with a football match in England, you have usually a four to five minute break and then the ho- at, at halftime and then the halftime show for five minutes and then another five minute break and then kick off. Well, that's unheard of in America to go away for four or five minutes. I mean, people would just switch off and, t- and, I, and so would I. So we do all these little tiny breaks much more frequently, which it's just a different approach. So that for me took a, a long time to, to sink in because I kept every time I would come back from a commercial break, I would say, welcome back. And then I realized I was saying welcome back about 700 times a day because that's what you do in England. You say welcome back because people generally have been away for four or five minutes. So that side of things, when I first moved to eight years ago, yes, I did find that hard. In terms of the Olympic production, no, I now I feel like I'm so ensconced in NBC's way of doing it because I didn't do it any other way that I I don't find it different or at all, really. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Rebecca, what has been the um, the on-air or just even maybe just enlarged, like the highlight of you so far for these games, I mean, of, other than obviously doing this uh, incredibly low traffic uh, podcast of mine. <laughs> um, it's the interviews, Richard. I get to do, I wish I could do more. We only have time. We have so, obviously, we have so much sport to get through during the day. Um, so we do, I do get to do an interview today, um, an interview every day, whether that's with one person or two or three at the same time. We did um, Jade Carey and um, Suni Lee yesterday. I did a thing mode today. And every day we have these incredible athletes who come into the studio and tell me their story. And it's what's so interesting, Richard, is that I find out normally maybe six o'clock in the evening who I'm interviewing. And I start doing my research on that, on that athlete. And I think, well, today it'll probably be somebody without a story. And I, and I know this is NBC's thing and, and it's all about storytelling, but it really is all about storytelling because when I then go into my computer and I sit here in my hotel room and I start planning out my interview, I, I, I cannot believe the stories that I'm, it's like the easiest interviews in the world. You're being told, this is what this person has done in the last 10 years to get here. And it's not just, oh, they went to school, did really well at running, went to college, and now they're at the Olympics. Every single person, whether it be tragedy, injury, adversity in other ways, it's so fascinating. So for a journalist like myself, it excites me hugely to interview these athletes. And they have not one of them disappointed. Every single athlete that we've had come on our show because you never know when you don't know somebody, as you well know, when you interview somebody you've never met before. And often athletes at, at, or Olympians, some of them are not used to the media, whereas I'm used to interviewing Premier League footballers who absolutely do not want to talk to me. These athletes, you know, really want to talk. They might be a bit shy, but that's where the, that's what the pre-interview is about when they come and sit down and I try to make them comfortable. But they really want to talk to you. I tell you what, it's so refreshing. And I have loved every single minute of it. And I've been somebody down the years, Richard, who never 
ask for a photo with the person I interview. I've never been that person. Um, certainly never in England. I would never do an interview with a footballer and then ask for his picture. But here I am after every single interview every night. Can I have a picture? Because they're just inspiring and it's a moment in time and I may never meet them again. Who knows? They may never be an Olympian again. And it, for me, that has been the absolute highlight every single day. Rebecca, one of the things I remember talking to you about when you first came to NBC, I think 2013, if I have my um, my my dates right. Um, back then, there was still, I, I wouldn't say it was a big issue, but, but it was certainly an issue. And the issue was sort of like, how will an American audience react to someone with a British accent? You got to remember, like, this is the start of like Ian Dark and some other British broadcasters, or maybe it's sort of not the start, but we're a little into that iteration of Americans being used to uh, British voices calling soccer events. But it was still, listen, it wasn't the norm. It was still new. There has to be a part of you now in 2021 where this isn't even an issue, whether it's Lay uh, Diffie of track and field, whether it's yourself, like the, the, the idea of an American audience hearing a sound of that's sort of different than an, an American accent. Like there, you know, the, the presenter is from a different country. It's just not an issue anymore. And I wonder just from your perspective, that's got to feel great because once like 20 years ago, had you come to the States, it would have been an issue. And there probably would have been people who would have been like, you know, I'm not used to this accent. I don't want it. I, I want a quote unquote American on my screen. I mean, you're right. It does feel good. I there are. I do get the occasional message by the delights of social media um, that, that tell me that you know what on earth am I what on earth am I doing hosting an American show, which is lovely. Um, but no, I I feel very. I do. I feel. I feel. I don't feel American, but I feel. You know, I have an American child, and I've lived here for eight years, and. I am very ensconced in the American way of doing things and especially the American television way of doing things. And so, yeah, it feels nice to be accepted. And I would say it's been like that since day one, especially in football, Richard. I have never had anything other than open arms from the football community in this country. It's it's actually kind of makes me a bit emotional, actually, to tell you the truth, because I think I left a, I left a country that at that time, not anymore, but at that time was sort of, not dealing with women in sport brilliantly, whether they had an English accent or any accent, to come to America with an English accent and to be accepted the way I have been accepted has been really remarkable and something I'm really grateful for. So yeah, it's um it's really nice. I mean, it's funny at the Olympic Games because we do have, I have a great researcher, Andy, and every day we go through pronunciations of names. And what we realize and what I realize more and more is his pronunciation and my pronunciation are different because of our accent. So he'll say to me one way and I'll say, but the problem is I don't say that that way. And, and we have entire discussions about my accent and his accent and accents in general, but you know, it's, it doesn't feel, I don't think it feels weird. I hope people don't mind it. I hope when they turn on, they don't think it's jarring. It's just, I suppose you might feel it if you don't watch the football and you're like, Oh, who's this British person? But I'm, I just hope that, you just have to be yourself. You just have to be yourself. Well, I mean, if I may be blunt, you've been accepted because you know your shit. And quite frankly, in the States, uh, we were in the wilderness for many years in the early <laughs> 2000s when it came to international soccer. So I'm glad you're accepted, but I also think it's your competence because trust me, uh, it, it was not always fun in this country watching uh, uh, global football in the early 2000s. Anyway, all right. It's a good segue, though, to the uh, to the Premier League. Are you able to uh, – you have – I mean, the Premier League is starting, crazily enough, very soon. Are, I mean, is your brain able to process any kind of prep 
uh, during the games, or or do you have to just basically do Olympic prep and then the second that's over make the hard turn to to the Premier League? No, I'm starting to overlap. So when I finished on May 23rd, I put the Premier League down and I did prep every day for the Olympics and forgot all about the Premier League. And obviously it helped that there was the Euros because nobody was talking Premier League, they were just talking Euros. Then I really went double down on the Olympics when I first got here for the for the first two weeks. But this past week, I have found myself starting to turn TalkSport Radio back on. So if I'm, you know, just pottering about the room before I go to work or, you know, just before I go to bed, it's what I normally do in America when I have TalkSport on. And that's what I've started to do this past week. And it's coincided with some big stories about Harry Kane and Jack Grealish and those things. So it's just started to seep back into my brain. And we have just started to receive emails again from the department, the Premier League department, that we have these great research and they send out us clips um, every few days. So those have just started arriving. Today, I opened my email to 12 conference call alerts um, with the boss and with the team uh, starting on Tuesday. I get home on Monday and I have my first conference call on Tuesday, another one on Thursday, another one on Friday. Uh, and I'm back I'm back on the air on Friday, actually, next Friday. Um, so it's uh, I'm, I'm making that crossover now. I have to, really, because... It's coming thick and fast, Richard, as you know, and the stories are coming big time. So I need to be across that. The uh, I saw the latest uh, odds uh, from the bookmakers. Uh, Man City is the favorite. Chelsea second. Liverpool third. Manchester United fourth. Tottenham fifth. Obviously, there's been a lot of transfer news um, uh, that you're aware of. Does that sound right to you in terms of the uh, the teams that we should be paying attention to? Manchester City, Chelsea. I mean, it seems like many of the same big clubs that we're used to man city chelsea liverpool manchester united tottenham yeah i'm surprised tottenham are in that i've got to be honest um i'm surprised tottenham are in that top <clears throat> top five because i would have thought harry kane will be gone by the end of the transfer yeah. by the way may, that might have been before that so yeah you know let's say my top four i'm is, still surprised yeah I, i'm yeah. still surprised because i don't think they're gonna have a good season i think they're a bit of a club in disarray but the other four yes uh especially city if they're getting Grealish, apparently he's having a medical yep saw that kane sounds like he's going um, and it looks like Lukaku's going to Chelsea, which is good. We want, we don't just want City to run away with it. Chelsea, United, Liverpool have to strengthen. And United have with Sancho and Varane, and hopefully Lukaku goes to Chelsea. Liverpool, I'm a little bit nervous about Liverpool. I know they're getting Van Dijk back and Joe Gomez back at the back, but that front line that wasn't really firing last season has yet to, uh, as far as I'm aware, yet to be um, strengthened. So they need to do something. Klopp needs to do something. Um, but yeah, fingers crossed, and I say it every year, but fingers crossed we might get more than just a one or two horse race and have a, have a few up there, which would be great. But it's difficult to look past City, though, if they get Grealish and Kane. I mean, goodness me, shall I even bother turning up next Friday? Probably not. Well, I think the contract says you have to. Um, <laughs> uh, two, all right, so two more. One, one, uh, one last one for War Soccer and then one final broadcasting one. So you obviously watched... Um, you watched England at um, the Euros. Um, it's kind of an amazing tournament, actually. One of those tournaments that really seemed to live up um, live up to its advanced billing. What do you think this ultimately means for England and the World Cup? You're from there. You know how much of a mega story it could possibly be if um, if they win the 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 World Cup. Um, and then also you had obviously also the context of of the racist abuse some of those players took. I mean, it, it's. Uh, um, the World Cup is going to come very, very fast, and your home country is going to be like a very, very significant um, factor, both I think on the field and off the field, just in terms of discussion of what's going on. I, I hope will be a significant part of the World Cup in 22. I think 
listen, Richard, I'm a Crystal Palace fan. Gareth Southgate came through Crystal Palace. I watched him when I was a kid, week in, week out. Adore the man. Think he's a superb human being. Think he made a huge amount of errors. Think he approached the tournament wrongly, considering the personnel he had, um, and made poor man management decisions over the penalties and over the substitutions in the final. Um, we will never have a better chance with the squad we had at home in front of a packed crowd at Wembley um, when other teams weren't actually that great. Italy deserved to win without a doubt, but I feel that going into the World Cup, and, and of course Southgate won't be fired, and I'm not necessarily saying he should be fired because difficult, I mean, he's not going to be. Um, it's difficult to fire somebody who's done as well as he, to be fair, of the last tournament. But... But I would say that having spoken to many former pros and some current and current managers, who I won't name, but many of them believe, yes, he's done well, but what could he have done? Had he been a little bit more adventurous, a little less conservative, used the players who he had at his disposal? I mean, I, I know I talk about this a lot on my Instagram, but Jack Grealish is about to go to the biggest club in in England or one of the biggest clubs in England, the most successful club in England for a hundred million pounds bought by the currently the best manager in the world. And he doesn't even get a start at the Euros. I, 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 that's mystifying to me. And every time he came on, he played well. So I think it was a missed opportunity. I think errors were made and I'm nervous that we'll go to Qatar in 2022 and lessons won't have been learned because as much as I adore Gareth Southgate and everything he stands for as a human, he has not got a wealth of experience as a manager. So he, he said, actually, after the game, I'm still learning. Well, I think when you're England manager, you've got to have pretty much learned. That's kind of the whole point is that you in England anyway, to become England manager, you're the real deal. You're almost a final product. You don't need to be still learning. And he's not surrounded himself with anybody, by the way, who could help that. All his, his staff, Graham Jones and Steve Holland, all those, Chris Powell, they're all relatively inexperienced coaches. Steve Holland maybe is okay, but still quite young. So I don't, I want, I worry the lessons won't be learned and we'll be having the same conversation after Qatar and eventually this generation of great players. And I hope I'm wrong, but it will pass them by. And, and I just pray it doesn't happen because we don't get a generation like this very often in England. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Here's the last one, Rebecca. Um, you have, um, you know, you've become a significant part of of NBC Sports. You don't get one of the signature hosting positions unless that's the case. At the same time, when you eventually, when you initially came to NBC Sports, you know, you were tied to the Premier League. That that you came as the host, and and sort of theoretically, one would think that as long as NBC had the Premier League, um, you'd stick around. Now that you've been there for eight years. Um, do you look at your future with NBC Sports like differently, or do you still feel that you would be at least tied professionally, at least for you? I'm not talking about for NBC, but for you, would you be tied professionally to them having the Premier League? Well, I think we've seen, Richard, with the NHL and the losing of the NHL at NBC that anything can happen. And I've been at companies, Satanta Sports, that went bust under my feet, ESPN that lost the rights when I was there, 
I, I really don't take anything for granted. And I, and I, you know, I don't see myself tied to anything or anyone. Um, I love my job. I love doing the Premier League. I love working um, on the Premier League at NBC. I think they've done an incredible job of raising the profile of this league in this country to something that I don't think anyone saw coming, certainly not when I joined in 2013. I joined thinking I'd be here a few years, I'd go back to England. It would just be a great experience. This has turned into a bit of a juggernaut, um, which I'm incredibly proud of. So I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not great at, no, that's, I was going to say I'm not great at looking to the future. I'm actually too good at looking to the future. I think I've said this to you before. My husband has to rein me in and tells me that the future will look after itself. And I think he's right. And I think that I, you know, we are coming up towards negotiations for the new Premier League rights deal at some point, who knows, in the next few months. Um, and it's a very popular product. And there'll be a lot of, I'm sure, a lot of networks interested. Um, and we take pride in that, you know, because I don't think they'd have been quite as interested had NBC not taken it where it's gone. So there's a lot of pride in that. And I and I'm I'm very, very different person aged 40 that I am now than I was the, who arrived eight years ago in terms of I feel much more sort of settled in my head of who I am, what I can offer, what I like to do. And I don't, I don't, I don't have a plan as such. I just, I think I can be quite, I can afford to be quite reactionary to what happens. Um, and, and I really don't know what that will be. Um, but what I do know is it's been it's been eight years of of magic, um, and what a team and what a time, and I'm I'm I don't know if I'll ever really realise the extent of the impact NBC has had on this sport until maybe a little bit time a little bit further down the line. I think that's something that Pierre Moussa, who who runs the Premier League at NBC, often says is that we won't know the impact it's had until maybe we're a lot older, but. I'm just starting to get the sense of the impact it's had. And it's something that I'm, I will always be proud of no matter what happens. All right. Well, I appreciate you answering that. Not an easy question. Um, <laughs> and we will, uh, yeah, no one's asking you to negotiate on this podcast, which would be your agent would be like, Rebecca, what are you doing? Um, so, um, <laughs> but we will follow that and, uh, you know, and wish for, if nothing else, uh, Rebecca Lowe is part of Premier League coverage, um, no matter where that is. Uh, you have seen her on NBC. She's one of the uh, hosts of the Olympic Games. She's obviously the host of NBC Sports Group's Premier League coverage. I mean, like uh, like the, the official guest, I think, of the Men in Blazers podcast. Is there anything else I need to resume <laughs> you up here, Rebecca, or no? Uh, I think we're I think we're about I think we're about well, that's about it. Yeah, that's about okay. it. All right, Rebecca, you're free to uh, to go to sleep. Uh, <laughs> Rebecca Lowe, thank you very much for joining me from uh, Tokyo and continued success. I'm sure we will speak again. Thanks, Rich. Take care. All right, back in the studio. My thanks, as always, to Rebecca Lowe. She's been on this podcast before. Always great. Uh, very thoughtful and insightful uh, host at NBC. Uh, they'd personally be insane not to figure out a way to keep her if somehow the Premier League uh, moves. But if the Premier League moves, I, she will be absolutely be the first talent that whatever new place that grabs the Premier League goes for. So I think she's in a great spot uh prior to this episode we had kavitha davidson on declining olympic viewership and um and how the simone bile story was covered in the states before that uh chat finn on uh the olympics and uh the manning brothers getting a uh, mega cast uh channel jamel hill on what's next for espn uh post maria taylor 
head down. Uh, Mike Golick uh, was a, a guest of this podcast uh, in June. Michael K. before him. So head down the uh, archives list. If you like this stuff, please leave us a review and a, fi- a five-star review and uh, a nice note. That's how this podcast sticks around. Uh, no apologies for asking for that. That is uh, that's how we stick around here. My thanks to Patrick Antonetti. Thank you, of course, to everybody at Cadence 13. Most importantly, thank you for listening. And we'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.